Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. As many of you know, most of us here at the Master Photography Podcast are huge fans of Squarespace, and that's because they make it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work or selling prints or products of any kind. With beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. So head on over to squarespace.com improve for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code improve to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. In today's episode, I'm joined by a real hero of mine, the host of the longest-running photography podcast in the world, Chris Marquardt. How are you, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what an introduction. I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to have you on. Um, so listeners, if you have not listened and subscribed to Tips from the Top Floor, it's a, a podcast that Chris hosts, you really should do that. Like, you should go pause right now and go do that. Don't <laughs> don't wait any longer. Go go and, uh, and subscribe to his podcast. Yeah, that's one of several you do, right, Chris? That's just one of them? Oh, I do a whole bunch of uh, podcasts. The, the latest one is called The Future of Photography, where uh, Adrian Stock and I um, talk about, yeah, we'll kind of speculate on where uh, the future of photography is going um, based on what, yeah, what's happening in the world right now. That's quite interesting. Yeah. And on the other end of the spectrum, I'm a film photographer too, so I kind of span the the entire thing from from the old techniques to computational photography. Yeah, it's amazing the the coverage that you have on your on your po- tips from the top floor in particular. That's it's really good. So he offers like tips for all levels of photographers. It's in a way that's really easy to understand too. So I'll put a link to the show notes of his website. That's tipsfromthetopfloor.com. Or I love it. You have tfttf.com for short. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. As a, I'm a, I'm a geek too. I, I, I love this kind of stuff. And so that really, I, I love that you have tfttf.com to redirect everybody. It makes, you know, it makes things much easier to type in on a small smartphone. Tips from the top floor. It's just very long. It is. <laughs> it is. It is very long, but it, it's, it's a great, great show. I highly encourage all of you listeners to, Go and uh, check out that podcast. It's, uh, it's great. All right. So, Chris, we're going to go over a couple of other resources that you have that I want to make sure we point listeners to kind of at the end of the episode. But I was hoping we could just jump right into this topic today. What do you say? Sure. All right. Go ahead. So, well, here's, here's where we want to start. Today's topic is going to be digitizing photos. And a while back, you answered a question on your show. It's been months now. Uh, we've been just kind of working out how to get together. But for a long time... Um, you you talked a little bit about a listener question on digitizing photos that really kind of struck me. Uh, I, your answer was awesome, but I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to, I wanted to spend a little more time on the topic, and I thought, well, I wonder if Chris would be willing to come on the show and go through it with me. And part of the reason that struck me like that was because there were some listeners having this same question and kind of a discussion in our Facebook group, our Photo Taco listener Facebook group. Um, on this topic of digitizing photos. 
And I don't, I didn't personally have any experience trying to do it with a camera. Uh, I have, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I had, I did do a little project myself for digitizing some of my parents' photos, but I hadn't done it with a camera. So I, I didn't have a lot to offer in the way of advice there. And when you answered the question, I thought, oh, this is what I need to do. Uh, with Photo Taco, I, I go get an expert to talk on a specific subject when I don't have experience myself with it. So I'm, I'm really glad that we could work it out and you could come on the show and we could talk a little bit about it. Um, so the idea here is we're going to dive deep into this. So I want to start with tips and information for photographers that are kind of closer to the starting end of their photography journey. And then no build problem. forward, <laughs> build forward the things that might help photographers a bit further down that path. Um, all right. So with that in mind, <clears throat> let's start with the, the first question I have for you. What tips and advice do you have for photographers? So let, let's make the assumption they've got a, a digital camera, might be consumer entry level kind of digital camera and a, a basic understanding of exposure. So they're familiar with shutter speed and aperture and ISO. <clears throat> and all right. So... Yeah, and they want to get started with digitizing. Well, okay. So, I mean, we have to look at two different things first. Um, And uh, that is, what do you really want to digitize? Are we talking about the box, the shoebox of prints that is sitting under your bed? Or Or is it the box of slides and negatives that you have somewhere? Because those are fundamentally different things to digitize. Let's start. We'll start with the prints. And then I also do want to cover the negatives and slides. All right. So you, again, uh, you <laughs> let's try to structure this even further because when you talk about uh, scanning prints, there are two ways to do this. The first is you have a you have a scanner, right? A flatbed scanner, which uh, you just toss them on, and uh, the scan the scanner fundamentally works different than a camera because it scans the picture line by line and takes a while to do that and there's usually software with the scanner that will automate that process for you so kind of depends on what you want what quality needs you have um the other way that is much faster is by using your awesome digital camera that has now has so much resolution that it pretty much works just fine you could even use a smartphone for that so um You'll need a physical setup, uh, kind of a setup of your camera, of course, that will make this easy for you. So um, a tripod that allows you to have the camera point straight down is very helpful. Okay. Then you will um, uh, need to be aware of the direction of the light. As in, do you have any weird reflections on what you're shooting? Uh, It's kind of, you know... If, if if the light comes from the side, you might also have uneven light. Let's say from a window, for example. Um, uneven light is probably not the best. Um, then if it doesn't lay flat, because it curls in some way, uh, right. you might the, the print. need some, some glass to put it down. We're still talking prints, right? Yeah. Um, so... A few tips on that first. Uh, it's totally fine to use some glass from a picture frame or something uh, to put the prints under. Um, but then you really have to be aware of where the light comes. No flash on the camera because that'll bounce straight back into the lens. You'll have a big, big hot spot <laughs> right. on what you're shooting. Um, you want the light to come from the sides, possibly from both sides at like a 45 degree angle. Take two desk lamps, one to the left, one to the right, and uh, put them together and that'll that'll do the trick. Um, if the room is very bright, 
it might be a good idea to do this in the evening when the room isn't as bright because you might also run into reflections of the ceiling and stuff like that onto on that so there's a possibility that that might get in the way um you also want to go as close as possible with your camera because you want to fill the frame right you don't want to waste any pixels and uh from an exposure point of view we're looking at an well easiest case an automatic exposure as long as you fill the frame with your photo as long as you manage to get close enough while your camera is still able to focus if you fill the majority of the frame you know that picture has already been exposed so there's a good chance that your auto exposure in the camera will do a good job that's kind of the simple approach here okay so tripod that where you can go straight down um, I'd imagine a lot of photographers that are kind of at this, the starting part of their journey, they may have a, one of those pretty inexpensive tripods, don't usually have that capability to go straight down. So, how do you recommend they, you know, just searching for a tripod that's going to have that as a feature and, and go get that as you're building yeah. out this kit? Like, that might be the only thing they really have to buy. You know, honestly, if you look at some of my setups here, especially when I wasn't, when I didn't have three tripods standing around here, uh, I would just kind of find a makeshift setup. Okay. I mean, you, you could easy, you could easily put a chair on the table and then put that camera on the chair. Kind of, if it's a smartphone, just put it on there so the camera points down uh, at the side of the chair. That'll do the trick. So you don't necessarily need. An expensive tripod for that you can come up with a stack of books or something to prop up the camera um this it's about the result right it's right, not necessarily right. about how you get there right so yeah work, work around with whatever you have you if you don't have a tripod the only thing you have to make sure is the camera is parallel to what you're shooting and that's easiest when you're shooting straight down and you put that stuff on a table right okay and so you, you talked about a scanner at the very beginning. So I, this is the only way I have taken on a digitization project. I, I did do that with my parents and their 40th wedding anniversary. We wanted to take some of their old photos from their childhood and digitize those and then do a little video for them. So it was a really fun project. I, I enjoyed it, but it was like we decided to do that about a week before <laughs> before their their that anniversary. That is a very short time for Yeah, <laughs> and there was lots and lots of photos. So uh, I... I didn't think even, even though I was doing photography at the time, I didn't even think about using my camera to do this. So I, we bought a little handheld scanner, uh, not the wand kind, but the kind where you feed the photo through the scanner. And uh, so that you could set it up at multiple settings, different resolutions that it would scan at. And then an SD card went into the scanner and it just, as you fed photos through, it just did image after image after image. And it went fast enough that we, we got the project done, uh, or at least sufficiently done. We, we had to scale it back some because there, there were too many photos in that time frame to get done. And, um, and it worked. It was enough quality for the videos that we wanted, and, and it worked out pretty good. How do you think that compares, though? Like Quality-wise, uh, you mentioned maybe time-wise, you think it's faster to be able to use your camera. Can, can compare those two things. Well, I, I think it always depends on what you really need. I mean, if you if you if you if the goal for this is to have a, an on-screen video slideshow of some sort, you will probably get away with lower resolution, with a quicker process. It's always a trade-off between resolution and time, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, especially in a scanner with a camera, not necessarily the camera. 
will shoot a 24 megapixel uh, picture at the, in the same amount of time than it shoots an 8 megapixel photo. <laughs> right. So there is, and I mean, this process of uh, that I just described. I mean, there's 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 so many things you can optimize. You can take a better camera with more resolution. You can uh, put a put a higher quality macro lens on that. You can. Uh, start exposing with the histogram manually, which again is quite advanced, but um, you can do uh, manual white balance on the photo so the colors are a bit better. You can post-process the thing. You can use higher quality light sources. There are many, many ways to optimize that. And uh, if if you are, let's say, if if your profession is being an archivist, someone who, for for a job, archives things in a museum, then that's probably the approach you want to take. But if it's it's if it's some family photos, um, I wouldn't sweat it. You you can honestly get away with a current modern smartphone, one that has been built in the last five years, will be good enough to give you a really decent. Uh, digitization of of prints and and if you use your smartphone same sort of general setup just put it on the ground or on a chair or something flat use the glass to press it down two lamps on either side watch the light yeah watch, watch, the, watch light. the reflections and then maybe you might be able to get away with handheld even to I have digitized an entire book. Okay, so my my grandpa, uh, no, my great grandpa was a soldier in the in the First World War, and our family had this little book that is kind of a a diary that he wrote, and it was kind of a family history piece. And uh, I never got my hands on that until in one weekend family meeting thing, uh, someone brought that, and it was fifty pages, mm-hmm. and I just took it for an hour disappeared into a room, <laughs> locked myself in, and handheld, digitized the entire thing with my smartphone, and it was good enough to put in a big PDF and then send it out to the entire family. I mean, it, they are really good. As long as the light is kind of decent, you get a really good quality. I also use a piece of software on my smartphone that helps you automate that process a bit. Um, let me f- just quickly bring this up here um it's to it's it's called a scannable scannable s-c-a-n-n-a-b-l-e which is um i don't know if it's on android but it's an ios and it even corrects angular problems like if you're not really so if you do this handheld and if you're not really parallel to the table then it'll fix the angles it'll stretch and geometrically stretch the 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 print so it's uh, it's square or it's rectangular. Yeah. Okay. Fix the perspective. And, uh-huh. and I believe that uh, in the latest iOS in iOS 12, uh, that is even built into the camera. There's a document scanning feature now in there that allows you to take pictures on, and they will be, uh, the, the perspective will be straightened out. The other app I have used is from Microsoft. It's the uh, Office Lens app. It does a very similar right. thing. And I like it because it has different modes like for whiteboards and for business cards if you want to scan those but it, it'll do a great job here with documents and photos too to, to same thing just find the edges of the photo and then as you take the photo it will uh, straighten it out for you it's kind of it's a pretty good app too uh the other thing i have here which 
uh, I bought when when I when I started my own company when I went self-employed was to digitize documents. I bought a Fujitsu ScanSnap scanner, which mm-hmm. is a, a f- fairly fast two-sided scanner. So you put some invoices in there and it spits out a pdf scans on both sides takes a couple of seconds per sheet it's really fast and um, it has a sheet feeder it takes up to 50 sheets and uh, i believe that there is software uh, that will allow you to use this to digitize photos and um, if you have a whole stack of those the quality isn't quite as good as with a slower scanner but again if that's for an on-screen slideshow that'll be perfect yeah good enough for that okay so there's there's some ways to start into this and get going on it if you had to pick like if if a listener had to go and and pick between any of those things you think it would be best to try to set up the the camera to do it um so that you get the faster speed or or just pick one it doesn't matter just go with one and and get the project going because these are memories and, and important things for us to archive uh, yeah, get it, get it going, get started. And uh, again, if you, if the smartphone is what you have, use that by all means. If you have a better camera, the, that even though I mean the the lines get really blurred between how good a smartphone camera is and how good a dedicated camera is. So um, yeah, I'm 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 hesitant to say a better camera at this point. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I really am. But if you have a mirrorless camera with a dedicated good macro lens or something on it that gives you a a good coverage of the frame then by all means use that Uh, the light is important the reflections are important and then you need something to post process those to cut off the the edges that uh, the overlapping edges and stuff okay what about then then for negatives and slides that's a different story (laughs) (laughs) a little tougher problem yeah it is because we are looking at um not just the scanning we're looking at a a bit of a bit more of a technical challenge because uh negatives and slides the, the 35 millimeter negatives and slides are smaller so you need to work at a better resolution normally uh for a scanner um there are there are two kinds of scanners that can do this there are again the flatbed scanners but um, then you will need one that has a backlight unit. So usually those are built into the lid and then you can put a negative uh, in the scanner and it gets lit from the back and it makes it easier to scan. And then there are specialized pull-through scanners, scanners that you put a whole strip of negatives in and it pulls them through and scans them that way. Um, the, there's advantages and disadvantages to doing it this way or doing it with a camera, which, which we'll talk about in a minute. But first of all, it takes time. Scanning a negative, and we're talking, when we look at scanning a, a print, we're probably looking at 300 dots per inch, 300 dpi, which is a measure of resolution. If we want to scan a negative, we're looking at 1500. 2,500, 3,000, 6,000 DPI, which means it'll just take much, much longer. So you will take a longer time. Um, the good thing with uh, with a flatbed scanner that is made for this kind of a thing is, well, they're not really that expensive. You can get a decent one for, I don't know, 250 bucks. Um, they come with holders for slides and negatives right. usually. Yeah. You have to be clean. You have to be dust-free, 
have a have have a, an anti-static cloth nearby to wipe the surfaces so they don't attract dust because that tiny little speck of dust will be huge when you look at the <laughs> right. scan and uh, at the scan scratches on these negatives will of course also come out there if the scanners usually have some automatic dust scratch removal things built in you will find uh, on some it's called ICE don't ask me what that abbreviation means, but uh, <laughs> it's something that works really well on color negatives and, and, and on color slides. It's pretty much, I think they do a second scan with an infrared light source and then that only shows the scratches and then they uh, subtract that second one from the first one, ah, something okay. along those lines. doesn't work with black and white negatives though, but it works with color negatives and with uh, color slides. Uh, the problem is with flatbed scanners, they don't usually give you the resolution that you need. They they might have 7,000 DPI on the box, but in reality, the, the, the real resolution of a typical flatbed scanner these days is like 1,500 DPI. And if you translate that to the final size in, in megapixels, that's around 5 megapixels. So... You can realistically, with a ch- with a cheapish flatbed scanner, you can realistically get uh, five to seven megapixels out of a out of a negative, which sometimes is perfectly enough. Again, sure. if, if this is for a for an on screen slideshow or, or putting for putting it on the web, I think that's not a problem. But if you want to do a I don't know five foot size print, then it's probably not enough. Mm-hmm. So that's the scanning method, and the one thing that kind of uh, that I don't like about it is the the fact that it takes a long time. We're, we're talking several minutes per negative usually, if you want it at a decent quality. Right. So if you have thousands so, of them to do, that's just going to take a long time <laughs> to go through it. That does take a long time, and I <laughs> I often recommend when people uh, come to me asking, okay, I have. Uh, 5,000 slides from back in the 80s. What do I do? Should I buy a flatbed scanner and scan those? And how do I go about this? My recommendation is usually go have someone do it for you. Okay. There are businesses out there that uh, offer that as a service. And and otherwise, you'll spend weeks and weeks trying that. Yeah, And probably give up. And maybe give up because you're not a photographer. So as a photographer, I... I know better what uh, what parameters to tweak, but if you're not a photographer, then it's probably there's a lot of frustration, a lot of potential for frustration in there. But let's get to the camera method yeah, because that's yeah. the one that I've been doing lately and uh, that I've pretty much switched to um, because it's faster. You get decent resolution, especially on smaller negatives, and. Uh, for that, again, find a way to point the camera straight down. Uh, I use what's called a copy stand for that, which is a, a pretty much a table with a vertical column at the end that has a tripod plate holder, so you can just plug in uh, a camera with a tripod plate, and then it looks straight down, and you don't have to do any any weird uh, any weird ballet gymnastics to get the camera straight. <laughs> um, and then I and then you need some sort of a backlight, which there's $25 LED light tables out there now. Uh, if you, I'll I'll give you a link that you can put in the show notes. But if if you if if you if you're on Amazon and you go go 
you look for a tracing board or tracing thing, tracing table. I don't really know what they're called, but tracing is the word to look for because that's what they are kind of made for. You have this um, A4 size, but pretty much letter size thing that you put some paper on and then trace through. Um, but it works really well as a backlight for scanning or for photographing negatives. So, and they're USB powered, so easy to power, just have a power bank nearby. And then you put your negatives on that. And, uh, the thing you will need to do that kind of a process is a macro lens, a decent macro lens. That's kind of the, the only thing. Uh, the macro lens will give you pretty much an almost full size photo of your negative. So if you, and then, then the resolution completely depends on your camera. If your camera does, I don't know, 50 megapixels, then you have a 50 megapixel scan in air quotes. <laughs> right, right. Right. If your camera does 18 megapixels, then it, that's 18 megapixels. Uh, maybe minus a bit of the borders, but Again, it's a lot more than those five megapixels that a flatbed scanner can give you. What uh, what focal length for macro lens would you, would you recommend? Well, it, I use I I use a one hundred millimeter macro lens, but only because that's the one I have. <laughs> right, if I okay. had a if I had a fifty millimeter macro lens, that's the one I would use. Uh, if you don't have a macro lens, you can still get an extension ring. There's a macro ring, which is pretty much a, a, a an, an extension that you put between the camera and the lens, which will pretty much turn almost any lens into a macro lens. Um, maybe not at exactly the same image quality that a good macro lens will get you, but it's close enough. Uh, you can get uh, you can get an acromatic um, an ac- acromat. Is it called an acromat? I think it's called an acromat. It's pretty much a uh, a close-up lens that you can put on the front of your existing lens. They usually screw into the tripod thread, and that will allow you to get closer and get a higher, uh, higher magnification. So there are ways to get around the need for a macro lens. But if you have one, uh, the focal length doesn't really matter. Sure, because you, you just put the camera the, the right distance away. So that's what so you do. Yeah. You put the camera the right distance, as close as you can, uh, to fill the frame with right. as much of that thirty-five millimeter slide or negative than you can. And then exposure-wise, again, try auto. It tends to work well. Um, it tends to work well if you make sure there's no uh, things. Uh, okay, <laughs> imagine you have a negative on that light table. But your camera only covers, well, it can't really fill the frame with it because your lens isn't, uh, isn't macro enough. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of white around that thing. Now that will trip your, your auto exposure right. because that's like a backlight photo pretty much. So um, what you can do to help that and also to help the negative lay flat is to build a mask. Take some black paper and cut out exactly the size of the negative and then put that under the mask. So you mask out whatever is around it. That'll help you to to not trip the camera as much. Or again, you can you can extend that process up to to a different level of quality. If you learn to expose manually, if you look at the histogram, in general, I would try to f- at least shoot it so it's nowhere under o- and overexposed and then fix the rest of the exposure in whatever software you use. 
And what about holding the negatives? Like it's even worse with those negatives wanting to curl. How, how are you going to hold those Especially ones things? that have been rolled up for, yeah. for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, there are negative holders. If you have a flatbed scanner, you have a negative holder. Yep. They come, especially when they have that as a specialty. Um, there are negative holders out there. One that uh, I can recommend, well, <laughs> sight unseen, but it was a Kickstarter campaign, uh, campaign that just recently finished. And that is now in pre-order mode. Uh, it's called the Pixelator, P-I-X-L-L-A-T-R. And if you open that up, that's a negative holder that is made to hold negatives of all sorts of sizes, from 35 millimeter to the 120 roll film negatives to even 4x5-inch large format. And uh, it's not; it doesn't have a light source. It's just a holder that mm-hmm. is made to hold your negatives flat. And uh, I'm hoping to soon get my fingers on one because that that looks fairly promising. Good. Um, I think that's $35 or something. So uh, not a huge investment. Uh, But again, if you have a negative scanner, then you have a negative holder. And worst case, what I've seen is uh, people who want to scan... Uh, you want to scan negatives. Sometimes people want to scan negatives, including the sprocket holes on the corners. Um, there's some uh, called sprocket hole photography that uh, that that needs that. Um, I've seen people just take these strips of negatives and uh, carefully at the corners tape them down on the light table, like with a bit of scotch tape. Okay. You got to be careful, but. Yeah, and that was giving me another another question I had is it can get kind of brittle over years too. So how do you is there a technique or something to putting them even in the negative holder to make sure you don't tear them apart? Um, normally a negative that's let's say a negative that is not older than eighty years is usually in on a okay. So <laughs> let's let's look at how a negative is is how how a negative um, looks. Uh, under a microscope um, you have a, a base which then the different levels and different layers of photographic emulsion are pretty much layered on top mm-hmm. and that base is some plastics and it used to be uh, nitrocellulose the stuff that film was on the old movies that was kind of explosive and brittle um, with the uh, plastics that have been used since let's say the 1950s 1960s um, you should be fine. You won't. Okay. You won't damage the film. All right, so that's so, good to know. Yeah, I, I had a, I had a project. Someone someone asked me to help them digitize negatives that uh, that were like a hundred years old, roughly, and there was no way to do that because they were so curled. They were pretty much for a hundred years and rolled up in a little capsule in a little aluminum capsule that was fireproof because it was a nitrocellulose and you don't want that to explode in your in in your uh, house somewhere so that stuff was almost impossible to to take apart without really damaging it but again anything after 1960 should okay, be just fine pretty good all right well that's good to know i didn't i didn't know that was there let's take a break here for just a second and thank the sponsors for this episode 
Turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace, just like most of us here at Master Photography. We love Squarespace, and that's because they make it easier than ever to launch your passion project. So whether you're looking to start a new photo business, showcase your portfolio, publish blog posts, sell products or prints, or whatever it is you want to do, Squarespace is the tool for you. They have beautiful templates that were created by world-class designers, and you have the ability to customize those templates with just a few clicks, so you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. Squarespace also has a powerful e-commerce tool that lets you sell anything online, and they have analytics that will help you grow your site in real time. And the best part, in my opinion, is that everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box, so you don't have to spend time building a second mobile website for SEO purposes. Buying domains through Squarespace is simple, and you'll get the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support. So head on over to squarespace.com improve for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code improve to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com improve, offer code improve. So those are some good tips for, for going through that. What about, so you said auto, but what about for the photographer who might want to do manual mode and, and set these? What, what kind of settings do you recommend for the shutter and aperture? Well, uh, first of all, low, lowest ISO that you can get right. with your camera because you want uh, noise to be low. You don't want to introduce any artifacts that shouldn't be there. So low ISO, in my case, that would be ISO 100. Um, for an aperture, I will, with a full-frame camera, I will always go somewhere around f8 to f10. That gives you a bit of, a bit more depth of field. So if the negative slightly curls, that doesn't really make that much of an issue. And the, the image quality of these lenses is always best somewhere in a middle, in a middle aperture range. So right. f8 is a good bet that that will be good. And then just adjust uh, the shutter speed according to what you need. Um, I will. Normally, and I'm I'm a DSLR guy, so I will enable live view. If you don't, if you don't have a DSLR, you have a mirrorless camera, then you have live view. That's what you use to frame the shots. Uh, I turn on the histogram, and then I change the shutter speed so the histogram doesn't touch the edges, doesn't get cut off uh, on the right side. That would be overexposure, or cut off on the left side. That would be underexposure. Okay, good. So yeah, an F8 kind of spot for that so that you have the maximum quality of yeah. going through the lens. Yeah. The, the smaller the aperture, the, the more you run into what we call diffraction issues. The lenses tend to, um, yeah, to the, the quality gets better when you stop down, when you start Let's say you have an f4 lens and you get to go to f5.6 and it the quality improves the overall image quality to a certain point and then uh, you get more of this of this so-called diffraction effect and there's kind of a sweet spot and it's slightly different for each of the lenses but around f you're it's pretty safe to go around f8. Okay, so now my next question is what advice do you have for people who may have taken on a digitization project, got frustrated from something, they, they ran into a problem somewhere, uh, lots of things that can, can really be kind of tough. And what, what advice would you have for someone who maybe needs to try it again and 
differences or things that they might be able to do to help them have a better shot of being successful with it? Well, that kind of depends on the kind of frustration they're running <laughs> right. into. There's so many factors. There's so many factors that uh, that could go wrong. I, I mean, in general, don't overthink it. Start simple. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Again, the smartphones are so good. That would be my first uh, line of approach right now. There is a piece of software, again, um, uh, this is an iOS thing, but there is a piece of software in the works right now. It was a Kickstarter campaign. Some guy came up with, um, uh, yeah, I'll have to I have to look up the name. I'll send you the link for the show notes. But uh, there's this guy who is working on the a product that uh, uses your smartphone camera. You point it at a negative on top of one of these led uh-huh. uh, things and you get a live preview which is already if it's, it's negative it's which is already inverted so oh, you see okay. it properly it blows it up which detects the edges of the frame and cuts it out for you and it's a, a pretty good uh a, well it looks like it's going to be a pretty good piece of software that will allow you to digitize negatives Um, You might have to get an additional macro lens for your smartphone, but then you're pretty much set. I think that's that's a good start. And again, if you want to be really nerdy about it and put all your all your geekdom into it, then yeah, go by all means, go with a with a macro lens, go with a special negative holder. But I will always try this low low tech approach first and see what I can get with it. Sure. Okay. Now, now let's, let's uh, take off all the limits. <laughs> if, if you could, if, if someone out there has like funding and a budget to, to go and do whatever it takes just to make it so that it's as easy and fast as possible to come up with like seriously professional results, what kind of setup would you recommend for that? At this point, um, I would go the camera route for sure. Um, full frame camera, decent macro lens, uh, good high CRI uh, light sources, which gives you good color uh, co- color rendition. Um, a good copy stand, which again, that's you're probably if you if you buy like a really professional copy stand, it'll probably set you down, uh, set you back three three to four hundred bucks. Um, Get a dark room, as in find one that you can really pull some black curtains in front of the window so there's no distracting light in there. And then learn about good exposure, learn about good white balance and how you get this with the specific light source you're working with. Um, The one thing we haven't talked about yet is how to invert a color negative. Oh, yeah, yeah. This could, okay, I'm not going to go into too much detail because that is an entire episode for itself (laughs) okay fair enough (laughs) uh, when whenever you if you look at a color negative you'll always see that the the edges of it are brownish orangish and that's has to do with the way they are manually uh, or the analog enlargements work but uh, they cause these what we call color masks or orange masks cause a bit of a problem you cannot just take a negative and then in your in photoshop or something say invert it because then you'll end up with a weird weird blue tint to the photo and there are several processes to take care of that um, there's one photoshop base there is a piece of software called color perfect um, that plugs into different kind of uh, image management uh, software 
And there's a more manual, also Photoshop-based method that kind of goes into real detail on how to do this. Um, that's a very involved thing. If if you want to do this whole camera thing, you will need anything like that or something like that to invert them and make them into the proper colors. If that is too involved for for anyone, the scanner method works best in that case because the scanner software usually has that built in. So mm-hmm. you can say, oh, this is a color negative, make it into a positive, and the ca- scanner software tends to do a good job there. Okay. Yep. So if, if they want to actually follow the camera path, then maybe go search. What, what could they look for? What are some keywords they could search for to figure out, get some instruction on that? Uh, instruction on what exactly? On, on how to do the, to take the negative to a positive with a camera. Um, again, I will give you a bunch of links okay. to put All in right. the show notes. That's the easiest. Okay, let's, we'll do that. That'll yeah. be perfect as a reference for that. Okay. All right. So that, that covers that. Any, uh, the, the hundred millimeter macro lens, you said 50 might be a, a better choice so you can get a little closer. Well, you can get a little closer, but the hundred uh, depends on the macro lens. But uh, the a typical hundred millimeter macro lens and a fifty millimeter macro lens will will give you kind of the same magnification, just okay. at a different distance between the camera and the negative. All right. So either one that that'd be good. Just uh, third party is fine for the for the lenses. Yeah. Usually, usually yes. Yeah. Okay, now the last the last question that I had for you. You talked about some digitization services. If this project is huge, like they maybe they found a, a big box of uh, of photos and negatives, all of, and, and it's just overwhelming. Think ah, there's no way I'm, I have time to do this. Is there a service that you can recommend? Do you have experience with, or or you've ha- heard a lot of people use? Because uh, I've had that question, I, I haven't used any of them, so I, me, I couldn't. Me neither. Feel... That's my big problem yeah. <laughs> here. It's because I because I can do all these things myself, and I usually do. I have never needed to use any of these services, so I unfortunately don't. I don't have a quick answer for you, um, but I would I would check local businesses uh-huh. very often they will especially if there are still local photo businesses around um these days they don't get as much film-based work they don't get as much films to develop but uh, i know that at least some of those have uh, just to survive specialized on these kind of digitization services because that is a source of income nowadays especially as more and more people kind of want to preserve the family history, old family albums and things and don't have the means or the time to do it. So um, there are more of these old businesses now doing uh, exactly that. And and so you haven't used them, but just if you have any advice you might offer on some people would be nervous, like I'm going to send the only copy I have (laughs) of my family history here off to someone else and trust that I'm going to get them back and they're going to survive this process. Is there anything you think of that they could do to prepare the, the photos, the negatives, <laughs> whatever it is, or uh, precautions they might take to, to give it the best chance possible? Well, first of all, that, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm recommending to look into local businesses because you can just bring the stuff there yourself. So yeah, you don't have yeah. to trust any of the any of the delivery companies to do a good job and not lose it um if you want to if you need to send it somewhere uh further away make sure it's insured make sure you put 
additional measures on it that make the make the the service provider be a bit more careful with it um when it comes to what is the quality of that business i will typically or i would i would uh, typically send in like a a few test negatives right right ones that aren't too precious but that will still allow me to kind of gauge the quality uh, i did this for printing services photo book printing services i sent the set same set of 10 photos to like 10 different businesses and looked at the results and compared and uh, made my mind up that way but uh yeah but but i would do the same thing with uh, negative scanning service yeah that's a good idea do a, a little tiny bit at once and see see how they do and of, and of course of course use use whatever reputation system you can find right. online <laughs> right. online reviews even though they are not always that reliable but uh yeah m- make sure make sure you watch out for for things that hint on that i don't know people might have re- got something back that was scratched and stuff like that um yeah keep an eye out for these things that should probably give you a bit more peace of mind yeah all right. Well, I, th- I think that covers pretty well this topic. Any any other things that we didn't talk about that you can think of? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I think we, we have a pretty good coverage. Here. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, I, I think this is something that photographers can, you can really take on and uh, it doesn't take a lot of equipment. We talked about a few things there. We'll have links in the show notes to some to the, what we talked about. Um, but it's, it's a project you can do. And, and the biggest thing, like, uh, we said at, at some point in the podcast here, just get going, get started on it. Let, make sure that you can keep your family history things alive. And it's really fun when I did it for my parents, that was, it was, it was compressed. So that was a little pressure and, and it ended up being kind of a, a chore because of that. Like, oh gosh, I need to spend every spare second I have and get this, to get this done. Uh, but it was so fun to see those photos and uh, the the stuff. That my parents hadn't really even shown me those photos. It was their own childhood, and that just wasn't something they cared about showing us much. So it was it was really fun to to see that and go through it. It was it was great. So it's a it's a wonderful project. Uh, I I want to encourage everybody to, to take that on and, and keep those family moments alive. Chris, you have a new book, and you always have workshops going on. Um, why don't you talk uh, first about the the new book? Take up a couple of minutes and, and tell the listeners about it. Well, the the book that has come out right now, well, the, first of all, there's the Film Photography Handbook, which is um, the film photography book, also includes scanning, by the way, um, that, that I wrote together with my partner, Monica, and that has been out since 2015, I think. Um, but the one that, uh, this, the current one is my wide-angle book, so a book on... Just wide-angle photography. It covers pretty much everything from how to get started with a wide-angle lens because they're not that easy to use initially. The first steps, uh, something about the creative challenges that wide-angle poses, uh, the whole thing in in practice, uh, looking at different genres, landscapes, architecture, and street photography, and these kind of things. Also, something that is not that common about wide-angle photography, or not often used uh, wide-angle for, is portrait photography, so that is in there. Uh, some technical information, of course, um, for for the techies. And then uh, two chapters on tilt-shift photography, which is a really advanced type of lenses that you can... 
do things with that you can't do with any other lens and uh, often used by people who use wide angle, especially architecture photographers and so on. So, yeah, it's a pretty much a, a, a whole book just on wide angle. And what's the name of it? Wide angle photography. Okay. And they can, where can they get it? Um, and anywhere you get books, it's, uh, it's, uh, the publisher is Rocky Nook and you can get it on Amazon or in the bookstore around the corner. Okay. All right. And what about any upcoming workshops? Well, <laughs> I, I'm just in the middle of planning, but 2019 is pretty well planned out at this point. Um, I'll be up in Norway around the Lofoten Archipelago on a ship in February. I think there are still a couple of spots open for that. I'll go to the Czech Republic, uh, Bohemian Paradise, castles and stuff. Um, we'll go to Kyrgyzstan, which is a mountain, uh, mountainous region in, in Asia. And in fall, we'll be in Romania. We'll, we'll be around the areas of for, for example transylvania with yeah with good dracula's castle and areas <laughs> like <Yeah>. that <laughs> that's a beautiful area, really beautiful area and uh already starting planning for 2020 si siberia lake baikal uh, where i've been a few times before um on lake baikal on on the frozen lake baikal in big cars the big ice journey all right. And uh, where can they go find out, like if they want to sign up for one of these workshops, you go to tipsfromthetopfloor.com or where, where would you have them go? That'll lead you there. The best way is to go directly to discoverthetopfloor.com. Okay. That's where I keep all those. All right. Very good. Uh, okay. So besides tipsfromthetopfloor.com and now discoverthetopfloor.com, what about uh, any other places where listeners can find your work? Uh, I think the most central one that lists pretty much everything is chrismarquardt.com. Chris, M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T.com. That lists uh, the books, the tours and workshops, and all the other stuff that I'm working on right now. Perfect. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It was it was great. I, was, I learned a lot. And uh, I think I think we're going to have a really good resource for listeners that are needing to take on one of these digitization projects. So I really appreciate you joining me. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome. Okay. So you can find everything Photo Taco related, the new home for the podcast over at phototacopodcast.com. There's searchable show notes there, including the ones that we will have from today that you'll definitely want to make sure you check out so you can get those links to the different things we talked about today. And I'd love to connect through uh, Instagram with you. The show's account is Photo Taco Podcast. Uh, Twitter is Photo Taco. And you can drop an old school email at phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No questions are too basic or too complicated for the show. I'd love to have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover like we did today with digitization. Um, if I don't know the answer, I'll bring someone like Chris onto the show so that we can go through it and really go into depth and, and talk through the techniques and tips. Photo Taco is part of the Master Photography Podcast Network, and you can find everything about that network over at masterphotographypodcast.com. And together, we want to help you master your photography. The views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a permission is reserved. Olay!